Hey, this is Randall Foster from Symphonic Distribution. You are listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Madeline Elise and Hypebot, build fans, don't chase streams. From Billboard, has TikTok killed the music video star? And from IQ, our friend economist Will Page unwraps the touring bounce back. Awesome. Oh man, it's hot out there on the touring. Yes, sir. So many concerts going on. We are glad you're here. Jay and I are going to start the show right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. of a giant Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, so, so, so sad, sad to hear that. And, you know, I was pretty fortunate to work a lot of those records uh, back in the day, but it was a force of nature, you know. Um, just such an entrepreneur with all the different, you know, the restaurants and the record label and just everything. He was 
just an amazing guy. And his fans, you and I have been talking about fandom a lot. Those parrot heads, you know, they rival the BTS army or the Kiss army or, you know, any of these fan bases. They're just like the Grateful Dead. It's it's more of a lifestyle. Well, and this, you know, all of this he did, like you said, we've been talking so much about monetizing super fans and and fandom and all of these things. And Jimmy Buffett, man, he wrote the book on that. 30 plus years ago and he has he was such a sharp entrepreneur and the los angeles times did a great uh a great article on a lot of the stuff on on the stuff off to the side and as as they mentioned he chose to deal you know he was really good at business and they they said he saw that his concerts were littered with pirated jimmy buffett shirts so he started a merchandising business he Mm -hmm. struck up a sponsorship with corona beer helping raise uh, helping to raise the mexican beverages share of the import beer marketplace from two percent to 17 percent he noticed how many his audience members were wearing head-to-toe tropical clothing and sporting inflatable pants parrots on their heads and he got into that business. I mean, it's unbelievable. The guy was super sharp and yeah. just, he, he knew how to monetize that fandom. Well, part of that was Howard Kaufman. And yes. back in the day, he was managed by Howard Kaufman, who is one of those groundbreaking managers like the Irving Azoffs of the world, Jonathan Daniels, that they don't just uh, book the tours. Um, they get involved in the business. And Howard was a groundbreaking uh, pioneer in that and you know whether it was on the spirit side or some of the things you mentioned and jimmy was involved in games and um it was a business and uh i think uh jimmy had that mind for that but i also think it was uh, howard kaufman yeah absolutely well and that's of course we talk about that a lot too how important it is to have a team you know you may not know a lot of this stuff but find somebody who does and get them on your side, and uh, yeah, what a passing though, what yeah, a passing, and uh, yeah, and again, it's it was I it was timing was ironic because we spent so much time in the last couple of episodes, and we will today again talking about that fandom, super fandom, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, before we jump is. in, um, there are some documentaries that are coming, and you and I love documentaries, especially music <laughs> yes, documentaries. Uh, Elvis 68. I can't wait to see that. There's a little Richard mm-hmm. thing on CNN that's happening uh, in the next day or so. Um, but I learned about a, a documentary uh, that I shared with you. I, I was a, I was familiar with one of the bands, but not the, the label, this Elephant Six. Had you heard of them mm-hmm. before? Never, 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 never. So th- this is new territory for me. But I did see the trailer. And yeah, the trailer looked really great. good. It's Basically what it is, is it's a bunch of really great Athens uh, musicians, kind of the generation after REM. Um, and this, uh, this documentary about the Elephant Six recording company is out. I haven't seen it, but it features one band called uh, Apples in Stereo that I really, really like. So we'll have to check that out and report back. But there's a lot of uh, great documentaries coming. And then, you know, they're doing the Taylor Swift um, tour movie which, yeah. you know, even just the pre-sales is like, I think it was like 30, 40 million dollars they had gotten already. It's the thing's going to be a beast, you know, whether you went or you couldn't go uh, since it was the hottest ticket in town. Um, but that's coming up as well. Yeah. So many great documentaries coming out. And again, they, they, they kind of come in waves, it seems like. Yeah. All of a sudden there'll be three or four that are kind of scheduled at roughly the same time. And yeah, they can hardly wait. Very yeah. much looking forward to it. So much good yeah. stuff out there. And there was a big milestone uh, that you and I were talking about before we hit record. And we talked for about an hour, which isn't unusual for us. 
And this milestone that kind of quietly popped its head up this last week, on-demand audio, you know, like streaming, is finally more popular than radio. And there was a really cool piece that came out after Your Morning Coffee was sent, and it's by our friend Bobby Osinski, who's just simply the best. Um, he wrote this piece for HypeBot, and he talks about this Edison Weekly Insights report that uh, it shows the changes in listening habits uh, in the U.S. with on-demand streaming finally taking the lead over terrestrial radio. That's crazy. Well, and I, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and one of those things I don't think about very often, but, but now when you kind of point it out, as he says in the article, we knew this day was coming, and many will be surprised <laughs> that it hasn't come sooner. But as he says, on-demand audio like podcasts and streaming is now more popular than linear formats like Radio, Pandora, and Sirius XM. And that's according to the Edison Weekly Insights Report. And uh, yeah, we're there. We are there. Yeah. So that was that was a really cool piece. If you get a chance, check that out on HypeBot. It's not in your morning coffee, um, but just check out Bobby Osinski and check out his website, his uh, podcast, everything he does is just, it's really good. And we cover it uh, regularly. Um, a couple of other things really quickly. Um, you and I were talking about this um, Luminate uh, Tuesday takeaway. And again, Luminate is uh, used to be MRC data, used to be SoundScan. It's kind of that common uh, uh, source of info for the music industry on sales streams, downloads, and even radio to a, a lesser degree. Anyway, Luminate, um, they put out this Tuesday takeaway, and I thought it was really fascinating. And recently, we did a special episode with Jamie Marconette, who's the Senior Director of Music Insights and Industry Relations over at Luminate. And I believe he was the one that uh, wrote this Tuesday takeaway. Did you get a chance to see that? I did. No, it's really interesting. Again, these things that as we, as this becomes a much more, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's not new stuff now. And so we're kind of learning about habits and things that are really interesting. And they're talking about uh, on-demand audio streams, kind of data between a, a particular uh, a few dates. And they, it starts off by kind of saying that Friday is the heaviest day for streaming. And I'm like, really? And then you start to think about it. It's like, yeah, yeah. New I release guess that Friday. Makes sense. Right? Yeah, exactly. So that makes kind of sense. And they're 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 saying that uh, uh, Sunday features the least amount of streaming, typically at about eighty five percent of the volume on Fridays. That's a lot. It is. Yeah, that's that's telling me that there's just a lot of streaming going on. And so yeah, if it, it's less, but it's not dramatically less. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Monday's when the work week begins. So begins the streaming climb kind of day over day to back uh, back up to Thursday to round out the charting week. So it's kind of fun to kind of see some of the little things like the, the behavior patterns. Of yeah. And how it all of us and how it uh, varies by genre. And we sort of knew this or at least had heard yeah. this, but it's interesting to see this Luminate report. They say that while Sunday is the least streamed day across the music industry, there are some differences between genres. A more niche genre like jazz, for example, shows less variability throughout the week where Sunday streams are 92.6% of the weekly peak on Friday. Uh, this is in contrast to Latin music where Sunday streaming is only 81.7% of the weekly Friday peak. So it's interesting that it varies by genre as well. Yeah, it is. But I guess ultimately you could kind of think that that might be the case, but it's just really fun to look at it and see the true kind of details and yeah. 
Yeah, it's fun stuff, and I uh, and I always enjoy little tidbits of data like that. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. I didn't me, know that. Me too. So you and I are going to be attending the Music Tectonics uh, fifth annual conference. Um, yeah. That'll be October 24th through the 26th in Santa Monica, California. We hope to see you there. Um, I've been to all of them. Uh, you and I had such a great time last time. I remember our lunch with uh, Gigi Johnson. And yes, we did. Hooking up with you know all those people in the lobby and watching all the different uh, keynotes. And it was just a fantastic uh, event. And uh, I had a chance this week to sit down with our good friend Dimitri Vitsa. Um, Dimitri Vitsa is the, the guy behind, uh, the music tectonics conference. And I just, every year it's different every year they do new things, you know, uh, there's startup contests, there's all these great uh, networking events and they make, they make it a lot of fun. So anyway, let's listen into that conversation with Dimitri Vitsa. Dimitri, good to see you. Hey Jay, good to be back here with you. So I can't believe it's the fifth annual uh, Music Tectonics uh, Conference coming up in Santa Monica, October 24th through the 26th. What do you got up your sleeve this time, Dimitri? Yeah, I know five years goes fast or slow. I'm not sure when you have a pandemic, <laughs> like that stuff, but it's going to be a great one. We, we're shaking up the venues a little bit, but we're bringing everyone back to the beach in Santa Monica. And that's one of the things that we really work hard to try to do is make an experience where you're going to not only get business done, but you're going to have fun in a beautiful place. You're going to feel good. No danky basements, no talking heads, just lots <laughs> of really great meetings, uh, getting to know people, laid back, beachy, crazy pants vibes. Um, so it. there's always that. We'll be back at the carousel for our opening day, which is super fun. But then our main venue, the second day where all the panels is, is uh, literally a pool house on the beach. And so Ooh. exhibitors will be around the pool. Um, many of the session rooms have views of the ocean. And, you know, we're not saying just come here for fun. We want people to get value from being there. But we did do everything we could to make it a great space and a great experience as well. Man, you know, Mike and I had such a great time last year. Uh, we're looking forward to another uh, productive conference. Uh, really can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. We've got investment firms, labels, DSPs, startups, licensing companies, AI music pioneers, all all sorts of uh, apps and um, platforms. So anyone that's interested in music innovation, they're bound to find something uh, for 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 them. And you know what, Jay, we wanted to give your um, your listeners a special discount. So we're Ooh. running a flash sale. If you don't mind, I mention it here. For your morning coffee listeners, if you use the access code Special Flash MT, that's Special Flash MT, you get fifty dollars off. That's good until September 9th. and that's specifically for your listeners and readers, Jerry. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I noticed uh, from the website um, you've got Meng from BandLab, you've got Mark Mulligan. I mean, you've got some of the brightest minds in the business today. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, just so you know, the Mark Mulligan keynote is part of our pre-conference, which is taking place in just a couple of weeks here in September. So yeah, as you know, Mark is eerily accurate with his predictions of the future. We had him at our main <laughs> 2019, and people are still talking about that. Um, but then also at the pre-conference, which is online, um, we've got these high-level investors that are uh, judging the semifinals on our pitch competition. So Tracy Maddox from Downtown Music, Adit Parikh from Sony Ventures, and Juliet Rolnick from Bertelsmann Digital Media Investments. So you'll get to see these cutting edge 
companies pitching those investors. And then the audience will have a chance to do a Q&A with those folks as well. So that's at the pre-conference. And then, like you said, Meng Kwok from BandLab, uh, the amazing music creation app and platform. Mm-hmm. He will be our keynote at the actual conference in October. Fantastic. Thank you, Dimitri. We'll talk soon. Can't wait to see you. Thanks, Jay. Good stuff. And, you know, you when you go, I mean, it's fantastic. And you kind of mentioned the lobby and it, they have such great panels and, and things like that. But the lobby is also just so great. But, you know, if you've ever been involved in actually putting one of these things on, it is a ton a beast. of work. It's a beast. And I tip my hat to those guys because they just do a great job. Yeah. It's not their main job <laughs> to do a, a panel to do this stuff. and uh, But it's a great event. And if you can make it, it is so informative. Uh, just the, the the kind of the connections you make. And yeah. just, it's really fun. And really by the fun. way, um, for those that don't know, Dimitri runs Rock, Paper, Scissors, which is yeah. this fantastic PR firm that kind of marries <laughs> technology and entertainment. But um, as he just said, which I think is so generous and so cool, is that he's offering the special flash sale for your morning coffee yeah. podcast listeners. And that's 50 bucks off. The, uh, just all you have to do is use the promo code special flash MT. And that's good, uh, until September 9th, just go to, uh, musictectonics.com and, uh, use that promo code special flash MT and, uh, look us up. We'll be there. It's, it's going to be a fantastic, uh, conference. And I can hardly wait, hardly wait. And by the way, when we do this show, we need to mention our sponsors because we are so lucky to have sponsors that help us put the show on every week. And uh, we literally could not do them without, could not do this without them. That's right. And first off, it's uh, Banzoogle. Your morning coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. And let me just put a pin in that for a second. Built by musicians for musicians. I'm not kidding you. When you get on, uh, let's say, a support call with these guys, yes. it's it's like, oh, no, Mike's not here this week. He's out on tour. I mean, these are musicians, and they know yeah. how to help you build websites for musicians. So Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform. makes it super easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features that you need for a professional website, everything is built right in. Hosting, custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to help you sell your music and your merch commission-free, right? Commission-free mm-hmm. and crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools. That's going to help you grow your fan list and send newsletters out, social media integrations and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. I've used it. It's good. Your morning coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code morningcoffee, all one word, and that'll get you 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code morningcoffee. And here at the Your Morning Coffee podcast, we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla, Hypebot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by Live Music Discovery and Marketing Platform 
bands in town. Another platform I use all the time. I just set up a, a big tour support thing with uh, bands in town. Over 80 million live music fans trust bands in town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform connecting over 590,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, artists, they can all access their own dashboard and that will help them manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. And of course, we are also sponsored by the Music Business Association. The Music Business Association creates the rooms in which the important conversations that shape our industry's future take place. Our membership represents every major segment of the global music business, including labels and distributors, music streaming, retail and wholesale, publishers and PROs, rights management and metadata, artist managers, tech and startups. So go over to musicbiz.org for more information. Big thanks to Banzoogle, Hypebot, Bands of Town, and the Music Business Association. Boy, we certainly, certainly, certainly appreciate it. Yeah, we and do. And who, who do I appreciate? The handsome je- gent who's just in the screen in front of me. That's Jay Gilbert. He is a music industry oh. consultant. He's the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music Groups. And there's actually a few companies kind of sprinkled in between those as well, as we <laughs> were talking you. a minute ago. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Checks in the mail. Um, uh, my good friend uh, across from me, Mike Etchart, a uh, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Group. And I had the pleasure of seeing you a little earlier this week. And you and I are so excited and so proud to, number one, announce that it's our three-year anniversary and mm-hmm. we've been sort of teasing a three-year anniversary special episode. Well, we recorded it this last week, and it was just wonderful. Yeah, it was really fun. Boy, talking to uh, Tatiana and Chris from Media and talking about a couple of reports they have out and just digging deep and having a fun conversation with them. Both very, very cool people. And uh, I forgot we were guess. doing an interview with them. It it quickly became a conversation between four friends having coffee, talking about the music business. And anyone who listens to the show knows that we talk about media often, almost every week. We talk about their reports. We talk about our friend Keith Jopling and his wonderful uh, podcast. Um, But this special episode, as Mike mentioned, is with uh, Chris Thakra, who's a research consultant. And it's also with Tatiana Sirisano, who, again, we talk about all the time. She's a senior music industry analyst, uh, consultant. She's also a billboard reporter. And the two reports that Mike mentioned a second ago, one was a, a media research 2023 to 2030 global music forecasts. And we did a deep dive in this a few weeks ago. Um, and that was from Mark Mulligan, who we have a great deal of respect for. And the second report was the state and future of music fandom by Tatiana Sirisano, and man, we could have talked for hours about that. Yes, yeah, we could have. It was really interesting, and you know, I I am so impressed and humbled when I meet people like this that just dig into the data and know how to tease certain things out of it, and it's just not something I can do. (laughs) And man, it's like when you have a great carpenter come into your world and who works on your house or something like that, they just know what they're doing and they're so insightful. Yeah. And yet ultimately huge music fans. That was the best part. But my favorite part of the interview is when you asked 
Tatiana and Chris about these reports, but more about, was there anything that surprised you? And they sort of lit up. And yeah. that's what I love about analysis. Cause they say about data, it's like a lamppost. You can use it to illuminate or you can use it to lean on. And unfortunately, a lot of people in the music industry use analysis to sort of prop up their point. What I love about media is there's always something that you can learn from these reports that you, you sort of assume that the business is going a certain way. And the last thing I'll say on it is we had done a little bit of research before we were speaking to them about, let's say their projections, Mark Mulligan's projections on where the business is going uh, over the next six years. And man, they are spot on. You know, yeah. if you look at how far off they are each year, it's like, I don't know, less than 2%. It is, yeah. they're ridiculously super accurate. accurate. Yeah. Super accurate. And yeah, it's just, and that world, you know, and we've talked about this is the golden age of data. And it's really hard to parse through everything and to have people that, that, that speak clearly and, and, and uh, energetically and are passionate about that, but also yeah. about music just in general. It's just a wonderful resource for us to have and tap into. And we are forever grateful. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't miss that episode. It's going to drop a little bit later in this week. It's a special bonus episode. And again, thank you so much to Tatiana Sirsano, to Chris Thakra and the wonderful team over at Midia. We appreciate you guys so much. Uh, we love your work and we were just so honored that you came and spent a little bit of time with us. So for our listeners, don't miss this one. It's a good one. Absolutely. All right. Let's jump into the stories, Jay. Our first story is from Madeline Elise and Hypebot. Build fans, don't chase streams. Yeah. You know, this is something I, I know Maddie. Um, I have a great deal of re respect for Maddie and her company, Shark Attack. She's just a great person. Um, but, you know, we, we talk about people that either play music or passionate about music like us, like the media people. Well, Maddie's like that as well. And so she understands artist development in a little bit different way than somebody who maybe learned it out of a book. And I've been uh, just honored to collaborate with her and uh, see what she's up to. So um, she wrote this sort of op-ed um, for Hypod. And instead of us sort of reading through it, um, we're going to have Maddie um, walk through it. Um, let's, let's listen in. Hey, Mike and Jay. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I always love speaking with you too. There's an old saying in the music industry that we've all heard. Fake it till you make it. This meant something different in the pre-internet days. But now, with everything online, this is perhaps the worst advice you can receive. Oftentimes, this manifests itself in bot-run social media accounts and fake streams, views, likes, and comments. I'm here to tell you, fake it till you make it is the worst advice you've ever heard, and it could ruin your credibility and career before it begins. However, there is a better way. Through all of my experiences, I've come to one focal motto that I tell everyone. Build fans, don't chase dreams. This is a simple idea that is deceptively complex. Buried beneath it are many marketing practices that are all geared towards what should be every musician's main goal, building a fan base. Chasing streams. First, let's identify the problem that plagues musicians everywhere. Social media is all smoke and mirrors, and we've all fallen prey to the instinct to compare ourselves to others. This is not a new concept by any means. 
But for musicians, the numbers we're looking at can outright lie to you. Those likes and streams you envy from other artists are oftentimes bought and paid for. Over the years, I've seen many artists who spend much of their time comparing themselves to other musicians. It can feel crushing when they put their heart and soul into their art, only to see someone else accomplishing what appears to be far greater results. However, these numbers are often not what they seem. When I inevitably peek behind the analytics, I often see the telltale signs of bots, a high number of likes, streams, views, but no actual engagement. Or the engagement is so fake, it's laughable. As a result of chasing streams, artists sometimes achieve hundreds of thousands of listeners while still struggling to pull a hundred people to a concert. How does this artist manage to inflate their numbers without actually growing fans? I've written previously about artists who bought their Spotify profile. The same occurs across all social platforms, but sometimes the trouble can be an abundance of digital ads. When an artist spends thousands of dollars on ads but doesn't take the next step and engage with their audience, you end up seeing high numbers but low engagement. In addition, inappropriate editorial playlisting, when you end up on an editorial that doesn't fit your actual genre, can occur, but it is much less common. Ultimately, the trouble always comes down to one thing, a lack of engagement. Building fans, your strategy overview. Engaging with your fans has and will always be the most important focus a musician should have. Passive listenership is what we seek to avoid. With social media platforms dominating our lives, utilizing these platforms optimally can make a huge impact. When my team begins a new campaign with a developing artist, we take a data-driven approach. First, we focus on the content and help to step up your social media strategy. We see what works and pivot accordingly. For social media, we always wait until we see organic traction before we pour on the gas and start putting an ad spend behind it. At the same time, we often begin a digital marketing campaign with an emphasis on direct-to-single conversion ads. These ads collect pixel data that we can later use to retarget and refine your audience. During these early stages, engagement is the focus. When a listener comments on your post or sends you a DM, it is essential to start a conversation, to develop a relationship and create a fan who keeps coming back to listen again. I oftentimes have to clarify what exactly I mean when I refer to digital marketing. Digital marketing is great for putting you in front of the right people. You might see your clicks or views or followers increase sharply as the ads run. You might even get the thousands of streams you were hoping for. But what happens when those ads get turned off? Naturally, you'll see your numbers sag, but there is a way to make your ad budget go further and a way to keep your fans engaged. Own your own data. This is a multifaceted concept that means that every artist needs to be proactive in cultivating their audience. So let's talk about the elements of what it means to own your own data. Pixels. Pixels are a key component for growing your fan base. There's a great deal of information about pixels out there, but to be brief, a pixel can be embedded into a landing page, such as a feature FM or link tree, that will gather the data of every user that clicks through. The end result is you're able to collect data that you can then use to retarget your audience. Ad campaigns that track these type of results are referred to as conversion campaigns, and they are an essential style of ad for every artist to learn. 
By utilizing pixels, you can refine the audience you're targeting to really hone in on your core audience. But building a fan base is more than this. It is a level of engagement that each artist has to commit to that is, shockingly, a rare thing. As an artist, your engagement with your fans means everything and will do the majority of the heavy lifting in turning a listener into a fan. It's surprisingly rare for an artist to do even the most basic engagements like replying to comments or replying to DMs. But this level of care and engagement is the real difference. Gradually, you can start gathering your audience's data into one place for use on your future campaigns. You can do this via your fan engagement or even via email campaigns, SMS messaging, signing up to shows. There's no shortage of ways to collect data. The goal is to bring the data into one place where you can utilize it again in the future. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Developing a fan base and cultivating your audience takes time. So we always use the adage, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Oftentimes, we find artists expect immediate results. Their music that they've spent so long perfecting is out in the world, so why don't they have a vast listenership? The answer is always a matter of engagement and time. You grow your audience one fan at a time. So keep focused. Ignore what others are projecting of themselves online. Your true calling is to make one fan at a time and grow your fan base. Use the tools available to you with this goal in mind. Collect your audience's data and never chase dreams. This path might seem slower, but this steadfast method is the only real authentic way to build a true fan base. You can't just fake it and make it anymore. Great stuff, Maddie. Oh my gosh. We certainly appreciate that. We talk yeah. about this stuff all the time, Mike. I was talking to Randall Foster um, over at uh, Symphonic and and talking to the team over at InGrooves. And we all have the same conversation, and that is you can't you can't chase streams. You have to grow your audience. And when I first read this, she sent me sort of an early draft of this. And when I read it, I was smiling ear to ear like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and again, for those that don't know, Maddie is the founder and president of Shark Attack Records. And she's really sharing her insights, you know, with us and, and her industry experience really about you know, what you should be doing, what's important to be doing, and it's mm -hmm. not chasing streams. So Maddie, uh, kudos to you. Great job on this. Uh, so thrilled to run it as the lead story in your morning coffee this last week. Yeah. And I'm guessing that's such a conversation you have with the artists you work with as well, which is, you know, you've got to stop focusing on that and really... You know, it's 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 a conversation that's that should be had all the time. Um, yeah, it has, it has had lots of time, lots of times. But um, but it's as yeah, old as the industry, easy. right, Mike? I mean, it when is. you talk about Absolutely. my favorite line, I love Todd Snyder, um, and mm -hmm. he's just one of my favorite singer songwriters. And there's so many great lines in his songs that are funny and uh, smart. And one of them that I've never forgotten is he said. Um, Everybody wants the most they can possibly get for the least they can possibly do. And whenever you're in a meeting and somebody says, we need a viral hit or we need this to blow up on TikTok or, you know, they're, they're lazy and they're looking for that short uh, version. And that's not the way the music industry works. It's, it's challenging. Can you hit lightning in a bottle? Sure. But you, you can't do that. Um, it's not replicatable, right? So what you do is you grow your audience. You, first of all, create great, great music. Then mm -hmm. you have, you know, a great story uh, behind that, that great narrative. You put together a plan 
and you execute that plan and you look at the data. And I mean, we could go on for hours and hours about this stuff and Maddie and shark attack, they get that. And, uh, uh, just a fantastic piece. Yeah. Really good stuff. And always good to, to bring it up and to continue to kind of reinforce that notion, which is, yeah, you know, it's just, it's hard work out there and kind of have to ignore some of the, the flashy lights that are, that are off to the side and kind of stay yeah. focused looking forward. Yes. Uh, this next story, Jay, is from Billboard. Has TikTok killed the music video star? Of course, that's a, uh, a little kind of a, a nod to the uh, video killed the radio star, the Buggles, Buggles the first sure. uh, video ever played on MTV. That's right. Um, yeah, and it's and it's funny, you know, when when we were started in the business, uh, which was just kind of around the, the just post MTV launch, videos were where it was at. The the first conversation that every artist that I was the product manager for was, how big is our video budget? That was always what they wanted to talk about because it was the the era of video and that was breaking artists and that's what you did. And even in, you know, our early days of our uh, entry into the business, we're talking the 90s, $10,000 was the bottom of the barrel and you saw $200,000 videos being made back then at a time when $200,000 and was, more. And more, yeah, a lot of dough. And so yeah. it's really interesting to, to, but by the way, this is an article by Elias Light. Oh, yeah. We, um, we love you know, Elias Light. Oh, well, Elias is wonderful over there. And um, I think I mentioned to you that I had lunch uh, with a couple of uh, executive friends of mine this last week who I absolutely adore and have a great deal of respect for. And one of the things that surprised me out of that conversation was there are certain pockets where they're still doing these super expensive mm -hmm. videos. And one of those is in sort of the urban hip hop uh, rap area in, in that culture, in that uh, area, it still is a sign of success to have the bling and all of these things in these videos. And it's almost like the same video in some instances being reworked over and over again. But then you take some of these other genres, like maybe a rock or Americana and, and some of these others, and it's not that same way. And I think what I loved about this article with Elias is he's really starting to point out that it's shifting to these bite-sized chunks for yep. short-form video. And we've seen that coming, uh, uh, but it's not just that. It's also people creating sort of concept videos that are made to be chopped up. Right. It starts by talking about the alt folk, uh, the alt Alt folk singer songwriter Noah Kahan. He's enjoyed a breakout 2023, cracking the Billboard Hot 100 for the first time with the single "Dial Drunk" and pulling in more than 800 million on-demand <laughs> streams. What's I'm sorry, what did I say? No, you said it right. I just, oh, love, yeah, yeah, I just yeah. love the title. Oh, Dial, Dial Drunk. Drunk. Yeah. First of all, who dials a phone anymore? But I, I get what you're. Yeah. No, I get it. Uh, but it goes on to say, you know, he's got 800 million on-demand streams across his catalog. That's something to be proud of. Not nothing. But he has not not released a music video this year and choosing instead to prioritize the 15-ish second clips that trigger activity on TikTok and YouTube shorts. Yeah. Uh, Drew Simmons, who manages Kahan, says, I'm very much of the mindset that music videos have a limited value presently. I've been moving the vast majority, if not all, of our video budgets over to short form content efforts. And there it is. And we're hearing this a, a lot lately. And, and that song dial drunk is really, uh, it's in good company. None of the top four songs in the billboard hot 100 this week have a traditional music video. 
None of them. Wow. That's crazy. Check that out. Morgan Top Wallen. Top four songs on the, on the Hot 100 right. don't have a music video. No, and that's that's unheard of. Morgan Wallen released a, a performance video, you know, for his hit, while Luke Combs and Oliver Anthony, you know, they they put out live clips of theirs. So while few acts are wielding music videos more effectively in the 2010s than Beyonce, a year after the release of her Renaissance album, she has yet to put out any official videos to accompany that album. Wow. Uh, it says, for, four, for roughly four decades, music videos played a crucial role, role in minting hits, mm-hmm. allowing artists to immerse fans in their visual vocabulary or wow them with dance moves. The format's influence has been waning since attention shifted from TVs to phone screens. Still, though, through the, two, through the 2010s, super, superstars like Lady Gaga and Drake invested heavily in clips that uh, caromed across the internet while burgeoning stars like Doja Cat and Dua Lipa could go viral and gain uh, steam with eye-catching visuals of their own. I think that's the important uh, point out of this, going from TVs to those yes. smaller screens, you know, um, the global head of content and partnerships at TikTok, this guy, uh, Paul Horkin, um, he stressed that, quote, l- l- long format videos uh, will continue to be one of the key forms of musical expression, creative expression. But he also added that the rise of short form video on TikTok represents a new approach to music promotion and discovery, which has significantly lowered the barrier to creativity and expression for artists. I, I thought that was amazing. Well, and you know, you, we forget when in our era, when we started out, <clears throat> you know, it was, it was an expensive process for the gear, for the crew to come out. And you and I carry a fantastic high def video camera in our back pockets. That's now. right. And it's so easy to get some stuff out there. The tools to edit things are much easier. Uh, as we all know, YouTube, the longtime uh, home of a lot of music videos in the, in the digital age, rolled out its own imita- uh, TikTok imitate, in, imitator, I should say, <laughs> YouTube shorts. Yeah. Sheesh. Music executives say this intensified the emphasis on short form content. Yeah. It was a, uh, it's a big deal. And yeah. it's, it's growing really fast. And you and I have talked about these videos and how no one has an attention span anymore. If yeah. you look at, let's say, YouTube analytics, and which we do on all these videos, you go in there, it's shocking the first time you go in and you see, because they have a chart on every video, and it shows at the beginning of the video and then at the end what percentage of people are still watching. And there's a line at 30 seconds, because that's what you get paid on, right? So you start off, you know, you're about 5% in and you've already lost, you know, so many viewers. By the time you get to 30 seconds in, typically you've lost either a third or close to half of the people who started watching the video. Hardly anyone stays for the end. And that's why this short form video, we've gotten into this thing where nobody has that attention span. We want that quick hit. Yeah. And it's, um, and I find myself doing that. I mean, it's like, you know, if I were to, to graph my own YouTube attention span, I mean, it's shrunk. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, you know, and I, you know, like I, I'm a fan of the Dodgers. And so I, I want to like watch a wrap up of the game if I didn't catch the game, you know, on TV or yeah. was at the game. And so I kind of look and say, oh, wait, that's an eight minute recap. Uh, uh, that's too much. much. Where's the four minute recap? You know, and it's like, yeah, that we have our attention span has shrunk so dramatically. And, you know, you remember when MTV first hit, if we, it, 
I would sit and watch MTV oh my for gosh. hours. It was hours on, at a time. It was on all day long. And then I would yes. sit and watch it when I could. But it was like radio and it was like television. It was it was really a, a game changer. But one of the stats that we've said on this program before, which a friend of mine from um uh, Facebook gave me a few years ago, so it may be outdated, but he was saying that 85% of the videos that are watched on Facebook are watched with the sound off. And I thought that was just, oh my gosh. and I've done that, you know, whether you're, you know, in bed late at night or whatever you're doing and you're going through and you're like, oh, Beatles at Shea Stadium, you watch a few seconds of that and then you kind of flip over to the next thing. We're just, it's, it's that dopamine hit. We don't have the time to sit there and watch an eight minute uh, recap. Yeah, exactly. But of course, what people are doing if they're making a video is chopping it up. And that is, you know, that's been a, a thing for a while. And of course, that that makes the video worth a lot more in terms of the, the, your your uh, your investment in that. Yeah. But, you know, as certain managers say, you'll get a whole lot more content out of it if you chop it up. The frequency of that and how you drop it through an album cycle is frankly critical to building an artist, continuing to remain relevant and be in people's feeds. It allows for a conversation between an artist and their fans that can't be ongoing, that can be ongoing and move fluidly. Yeah. But it's it's such an interesting change of the importance of videos. And again, like you said, the the, the attention span of of listeners and viewers now is just dramatically less. And I see that in my own kids. I see that in myself. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and I'll just put a fine point on this. They end the article um, with this great quote of, you know, if a music video is going to make an artist feel fulfilled, then there's a lot of value in that. You know, a happy artist is a good artist, but, but obviously most people aren't after that <laughs> fulfillment. They want views. If, if your reason for making a music video is I want to get as many eyes as possible, I don't think that presuming you will is a correct assumption anymore. So people are spending less. They're looking for bite-sized chunks. They're not doing the expensive concept videos as much as they used to, even though in some genres and moods, that's still a thing. But just a really, really great piece uh, by uh, Elias Light over there at Billboard. And you, I'm sure, have conversations with artists and managers all the time about this stuff. And... You know, it's it's a hard conversation to have sometimes because, yeah. again, if you come from, you know, if you, if you have expectations that that's something you're going to do as part of your, uh, the development as an artist, and then you kind of hear the reality, which is, hey, you know, people are not paying attention to these things. Yeah. It's kind of a, it can be shocking. Well, I think the wake up call for a couple of artists was when I showed them that their pseudo video was outperforming their concept video. And for those that don't know, a pseudo video or art track is typically just the album art or single art with the audio bed. And you see these all the time. All the distributors generate these for every song they put out and you see them all over YouTube and you might wonder, well, this isn't a video. It's just the audio with an image. Well, People build playlists with those, you know, yeah. and they're, they're very, very popular. And sometimes they outperform expensive concept videos. We've seen it happen a couple of times. So, you know, it, it can be a really powerful tool. Another thing is lyric videos are not super expensive to make. And if you're creative with it, you can make some that are compelling. Everybody likes uh, the BTS behind the scenes um, videos of how the sausage is made um, I, I've seen some of these that are just really compelling where you see how, 
you know, the, the band is coming to the stage or maybe how they enter and maybe they do a team huddle beforehand and, you know, just coming through the backstage area, those kinds of things that you don't typically see at a show. There are all sorts of creative ways of using video. And we've definitely gotten away as an industry from those super, super expensive hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, these videos now, because you can get a lot more mileage with a lot less money. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's it is just interesting to see how things change and, and you know the the viewership changes and the way and how long we watch things change. So way different, way different. Hey, how about this one from our good friend or or about our good friend uh, Will Page? This is from IQ Economist. Will Page unwraps the touring bounce back. Yeah. And boy, what a bounce back it is. It seems like everybody is. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have really had to. There's so many bands that I want to see out on the road right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't have enough money. <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> I've really got to kind of figure out, okay, who are my priorities to see? Because tickets, of course, are crazy expensive and everybody's out. It's right. it's a fantastic time to be a music fan, but you really got to figure out how to, how to spread that, how to spread whatever money you have as, as smartly as you can to see however many you want to see. Yeah. Crazy. That's right. And listen, we had a really great kind of two on one conversation with Will Page recently. Um, if you haven't heard that episode, check it out. It's, it wasn't that long ago and it's, it covers some of what he's talking about here. But what I love about this piece, uh, by James Hanley over at IQ I like the questions that he asked Will, and he digs up some really cool anecdotes and some things that w- we hadn't heard. Um, but I'll just kick it off. You know, he he starts with uh, the fact that Will Page says that the live sector is quote winning attention in the experience economy, and, and that was after revealing that UK music fans spent 2.1 billion um, on gig tickets last year. And if you don't know, Will Page is the author, former chief uh, economist at Spotify. Um, he wrote Tarzan Economics. Uh, they changed the name of that book to uh, Pivot. Um, fantastic book. We highly recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. And to give you some numbers, uh, writing in Music Business Worldwide, he reported that the volume of live music events in the UK was down 26% from 2019 to 2022. But makes the amount sense. spent, of course, makes sense. But the amount spent on tickets was up 22% in the same period, which surpassed two. Uh, two billion pounds because this is British publication for the first time, while spend on recorded music also exceeded two billion. He said, "What we're seeing is akin to a productivity gain, getting more box office spend from less concerts. That could be driven by supply, higher ticket prices, or demand preference for bigger events. Inflation will have a role in that too." Uh, they also found uh, that, uh, or Will also said that uh, music in the UK stadiums and festivals now make up half of all box office spend compared to 40 percent back in 2019 and 23 percent in 2012 wow so again, that's a huge in the uk yeah those festivals are gigantic we, we certainly have some here but not to the extent that they do over there yeah and in, in response to these findings um there's a trade body live uh in the uk and it told uh this iq writer that it's fantastic to see the enormous demand for live music across the uk While 2022 still provided multiple challenges, so does 2023, the appetite for that unique communal gig going experience is, it's clear, working together with the government, we have an opportunity to grow further and faster. 
As part of that, it is critical we support our grassroots venues, festivals, and of course the artists themselves. So I think it's what you're mentioning uh, that Will said, you know, that it's not only the quality of the artists that are out there, the fact that a lot of them had been, you know, under lockdown for a while and forced to eat sawdust, the fact that, you know, we haven't been able to go to shows in such a long time, and the fact that people, and Will has pointed this out, they're going to these festivals and these larger events in mass. Yes, absolutely. And they asked him, uh, they said, you know, how sustainable is the level of business reported? Because, you know, as if you look at economics, everything, generally speaking, goes up, that goes up, comes down, and then goes back up again or comes down again. Uh, he says there's headwinds, namely inflation and interest rates, and there's tailwinds, innovation and production and ticketing to consider. But he says, I'm confident the sector is sustainable. Mm. Live music is constantly upping its game in the experience economy. He said, I was at the weekend at London Stadium, and you could see the diverse 80,000 strong audience opted for this experience over so many other options, be it Netflix or going abroad. Live is winning attention in the experience economy. I think that's key. They also asked him, you know, given that stadiums and festivals have more than doubled their box office shares, where does that leave the rest of the sector? And Will said, to add some more color to this observation, UK giggoers spent more on stadiums and festivals in 2022 than they did on all of live music in 2012. But we have to be careful, you know, with these knee-jerk reactions here, especially when people argue the explosion in stadium shows is at the expense of the grassroots. The majority of those fans who went to see, let's say, Coldplay at stadiums, I don't think they would be interested in going to Camden on a wet winter night to support the grassroots. But we're also talking about a bigger overall pie than there was a few years ago. Right. And they said, they asked him, what do you consider to be the biggest opportunities and threats for the market at this point? He said, I think this gin and tonic relationship between spending more on subscriptions and then spending even more on live music is so intriguing and really needs unpacking. The chart below, well, there's a chart in here. Yeah. Uh, and he says, what if growth in music subscribers were to stall this year? What would that lead to? And would that lead to a negative effect on live music? What if the mental budgeting meant consumers were to cut their music budget, either unsubscribing or reducing their gig going frequency? And he talks up so a lot of different things and you got to you got to see the chart. Um, but you know, a lot of the, the again, these are the, the the decisions that we as consumers have to make about, you know, you have a finite amount of money, whether it's for live or for streaming subscriptions or for Netflix or for HBO. That's right. And how do we how do we balance all of that? What are the what are the what are the consumer decisions, the economic decisions we make and if you if you put a lot over there in the live music music budget what are you taking from right is that you're counseling you're canceling your hbo budget are you you know how are you doing that right so, it's a zero-sum game right there's only so yes. many hours in the day and, and the last thing they asked him was about his 2022 forecast was was spot on and they said given that you know what are your predictions for 2023 and i thought this was really interesting will said bigger and more stadium heavy. He said, I'm going to ask IQ readers to think long and hard about this headline. More than 1 million attend London concerts in a week. 
He said, that's insane. We really are in uncharted waters where an artist like WizKid, who is definitely not a household name, is selling out the state-of-the-art Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I think that the headlines are going to become the rule, not the exception across the UK in 2024. So I know this is sort of UK-centric, but I think you know, from our conversation with Will, this isn't just happening in the UK. This is in the US as well. Well, and you and I talked about it. I mean, let's let's review. Taylor Swift just did six shows at SoFi Stadium here, the, probably the biggest venue in Los Angeles. I mean, six shows that were all sold out. She probably could have done eight, I'm guessing. Uh, you know, that sort of pull, that sort of demand is just for, for, for the major talent. And for those that don't know, SoFi Stadium holds over 70 thousand people this isn't yeah. like a twenty thousand seat arena over no. seventy thousand no, 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 no. and what did you say six nights she did six nights i believe yeah sold out crazy so yeah exactly sold out and that's that entire so like like will is saying you know it's it's certainly about the live music experience but it's these big acts it's the, these big productions these big events that are really pulling people in, whether it's a, a festival right. or, a, or a huge marquee artist that's out. Um, right. It's, it's sort of uncharted times, yeah. really, when you it's see exciting. that. It's sort of, exciting. Yeah. Uh, I just looked this up while we were having this conversation. It is over 70,000, but they say on their website, it's expandable to over 100,000 for, for major events. So I don't know what the number is. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to check Polestar, but... I imagine it's it's north of seventy thousand a night, which is uh, impressive. Yeah, and again, le- leaving a lot of people wanting tickets. And boy, what what a remarkable, remarkable uh, year we've had observing all these touring acts. So it is time to wrap up the show. Jay and I want to say big thanks for everyone that listens in. We do not take that for granted. We uh, we are so appreciative of people's time and the fact that they want to occasionally jump in and listen to what we have to say. It does not go unnoticed, nor does it go unappreciated. And of course, big thanks to our sponsors, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. We are eternally grateful for your support as well. And on that note, we're going to walk away and enjoy a three-day weekend. We hope you all have a safe and happy week as well, and we will see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.